Turner, our next presenter, is the host of the Courtney Turner Podcast, where she boldly seeks truth and she dives into a myriad of uh, deep topics, including health issues, fitness, medicine, philosophy, psychology, politics, geopolitics, and sociocultural zeitgeist. What? What does that even mean? Okay. However, she was born with a rare set of circumstances that has greatly impacted her perspective on life. She is also the founder of CauseFest and the co-founder of Pirate Stream Media, WIM, which is a movement, aerial acrobat, motivational speaker, team, freedom, and humanity. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand to your feet and greet Courtney Turner. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Hello. Thank you so much. Thank you, Clay, so much for having me. Thank you all for being here. This is so encouraging to see all of you because you are really the hope for the future of America. You're the hope for the free will of humanity. Um, I believe I had a clicker here. It's where? Oh, there we go. Okay. Yeah. So I, um, just, just to tell you, the, these events mean so much to me because I think it's so important that we have connections in the physical domain because I think that is the antidote to the they, their agenda. Um, so a little bit about me, I actually, we've been to 11 of these now um, and I met my now fiance at the second one, which was in Tampa, and it was called Reopen America back then. And then we got engaged in Branson, and as Clay would say, boom. Um, so I think that their agenda is to create a transhuman leading to post-human world that's controlled by an AI high Borg mind where we're all siloed in a metaverse. Personally, that is not a future I ever wanna see. I don't know about any of you. But I think that the fact that we're all here is hope that we can stop this, or at the very least, derail their plans. So what I'm gonna talk about today is something that I call the compassion trap. I think that what they do is they weaponize the very best aspects of human nature against us to divide and conquer and have us fighting each other instead of uniting with each other. So, let's see. The next one, oh, how do we get, there we go. Okay, so I think that the antidote to, I call them the parasite class, because as I said, they want to dehumanize us and silo us in this metaverse. And, but the hope is that they want to create a neo-feudal, technocratic neo-feudal society. And I actually think this is hopeful, because it means that we have the potential to hinder their plans or at the very least derail them. And I think that in fact, we've actually already begun to do that. And the way that we do that is by being radically human. I have the definition of radical behind me because I mean it in the etymological sense of the word. We need to be deeply rooted in humanity. So scientists have determined, sorry, we'll go backwards, um, that you, have a one in 400 quadrillion chance of being born. That is an unfathomable number. We as human beings can't fathom that at all. So each and every one of you here is a living, breathing miracle. And they don't want you to realize this. They don't want you to behave in accordance with this because if you were to do so, 
you would actually derail their plans. They the biggest lie, I believe, is about the value of human life. They sell us so many lies. The propaganda machine is working overtime constantly to sell us lies. There's a quote that some of you may have heard. Uh, a lot of people attribute it to Edmund Burke, but it was actually John Stuart Mill in 1867. Bad men need nothing more to encompass their ends than good men should look on and do nothing. I would actually add to that for good men to be deceived and unwittingly abet evil agenda. Compassion traps target good people because as human beings, let's see if we can get to this uh, next one. Uh, yes, we'll get to that in a minute. But as human beings, we are compassionate. I'll see if I can fast forward to that. And we, it's very similar to empathy, right? It encompasses empathy, which I believe the parasite class, as I call them, because they feed off of us, is often comprised of lots of sociopaths, <laughs> psychopaths. And what they've actually found is that psychopaths have very little capacity, if not none, for empathy. However, they are masters of recognizing it, and therefore they utilize it and they weaponize it against us. Compassion is not only empathy, but it is human nature, and I believe one of the best aspects, where we not only recognize another person's suffering, but we then want to alleviate it. They have learned how to use that to perpetuate dialectics. So we'll give to the dialectic. I, I'm sure many of you have heard of the Hegelian dialectic. Right? I do not think Hegel created the dialectic. <laughs> uh, there's nothing new under the sun, right? But he was drawing from both Plato and uh, um, Kant. And he was actually rejecting their notions of dialectics. So we have here just a, I, I'll get to this slide in a minute. Let me see if I can get to, sorry. I'll get to the dialectic. Yes. So he was actually rejecting both Plato and Kant. So Plato, some of you may, have, are, may be familiar with Plato's Republic, right? Allegory of the cave. He talked about the intelligible realm, then the dividing line, and then we get to the inintelligible realm. Kant drew from this, and he created the, what we know of as thesis, antithesis, synthesis, and I'm sure some of you have heard like problem, reaction, solution. Uh, I'm going through this because I think it's really instrumental to understand how the dialectic progresses and how it is utilized to advance their agenda. And their agenda, I believe, is the new, new world order. So essentially, Hegel was rejecting Kant's notion. It was through John uh, Gottlieb that he, uh, Gottlieb Fitch, sorry, um, where he learned how he could advance and go past Kant's notion of the dialectic. He attributed the thesis antithesis synthesis to interpreting Kant's dialectic, but he rejected both Plato and Kant because he said that it essentially let, it was too abstract, it remained in people's heads, and it couldn't be utilized to create this spiral that you see where the dialectic progresses to an omega point. And that omega point, I think, is the new world order. It's been labeled many names throughout you know, time. Uh, Woodrow Wilson was the first president to use the term new world order. Now we hear the great reset but it's all the same plans. Um, so let me go back. Uh, 
sorry, am I uh, going back to these? Right, so I, I think in order to understand uh, what their plans are, it's really helpful to understand their motives and what they believe. So the parasite class, I believe, has a trinity that they worship. So many of you are probably familiar with the trinity in Christianity, right? I think this trinity runs counter to the Christian trinity, and I call it the triple Ds. It's deception, divide and conquer, and destruction. So deception, right? They deceive, they distort, they obfuscate, they manipulate in order to craft narratives and sell us lies. The second one, which is really instrumental to what I'm talking about today with the compassion trap, is divide and conquer. This is how they achieve their goal, because it is much easier to have groups fighting each other than it is to have human-to-human -human connection. This is one of the old, uh, second to the lie about the value of the human life, I think is the lie about individuality. Because if we were really to honor the miracle of life and treat each person as a human, valuing individualism would actually unite us, which I think is what they're terrified of. And then of course, they can't create, so they have to destroy and uh, this leads to death, which is why they are the death cult. So we'll go to the next one here. So this is not my graph. Um, I interviewed uh, Stephen Coughlin, and he made this. I tweaked it a little bit, but these are some of the compassion track narratives that I think they go through. Um, and uh, sorry, let me get back up just a second. Is it here? Uh, no. Okay. Yeah. So here is the. We'll go through this for, oh, here it is. So the biggest, uh, there's the overarching, I believe, uh, dialectical narratives are created by the biggest wealth theft machines. And these, this is kind of a consortium and entity, I call it the triple MIC. And that is the military industrial complex, the medical industrial complex, the media industrial complex. And these overarching narratives, which I think all of, a lot of the other, perhaps if not all, of the other dialectics then stem from, are from these three. They tell you that war, war equals peace, that through war we will achieve peace. They tell you that drugs equal health. They tell you that you must live in fear in order to be safe. So, back here. So this graph, is some of the narratives, and we're running out of time, so I'm not going to go through all of them, but I think you've all heard these, right? The abortion issue, then we had COVID, BLM, Ukraine, now we're dealing with Israel, Palestine. And I know these are all really sensitive topics, and it's because they have played on our compassion to create these dialectical narratives. But I can promise you, from what I have read and from what I've witnessed, this parasite class who is fomenting these arguments do not care whether you're male, female. They don't care, you know, if you're sick or healthy, right? Because these narratives are what, you don't care about uh, women's rights, you're a grandma killer, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter, we have to stand with Ukraine. They don't care whether you're Russian, Ukrainian, Muslim, Jew, black, white, if there are any teams to play, if there's any dialectics, real dialectics, it should be team humanity versus the parasite class who are anti-human, right? They're anti-humanity. 
So when we went through uh, the dialectic, I, uh, the one part I want to really focus on is this notion of Af-Haven. So it, Hegel said concrete, he said, sorry, abstract, negative, concrete. And the middle, negative, translates to sublation. In German, the term is Afhaben. And this means to cancel while preserving. And some of you may be familiar with cancel culture, right? This is where we get cancel culture from. Afhaben culture was something that was codified by the Frankfurt School. So the Frankfurt School was born in, after 1922, there was a meeting that Lenin called with Antonio Gramsci, it was actually uh, revealed in Antonio Gramsci's grandson's uh, memoirs, and it was uh, Gramsci, Georgi Lukash, Willie Munzenberg, because he was perplexed. He didn't understand why the revolutions after the Bolshevik Revolution didn't spread throughout the West, like Marx promised that it would. And it was Gramsci who said, because you're treating this as an economic problem, and it's not. It needs to be treated as a cultural infiltration. So they set up shop in Frankfurt, Germany, and then they went to Columbia University, set up the Institute for Social Research, and proceeded to infiltrate throughout the, the West. We had, before that, the Wellington House, which was known as the, the Lie Factory. It was the British Propaganda Bureau. And it would, the purpose of it was to garner acquiescence from the, the British and the Americans to engage in World War I on the side of the British. Now, they were the or originators of this propaganda machine. And interestingly enough, Edward Bernays, who's a double nephew of Sigmund Freud, his nephew is the father of today's modern propaganda machine, Mark Randolph Bernays, who's the co-founder of Netflix. So we are running out of time, so I just want to wrap up with telling you a little bit about my personal birth story, because I think as human beings, one of the things that's really unique about us is that we learn by proxy. This is why storytelling is so powerful, and this is why they can create compassion traps to advance their agendas. I was born with a very unique set of circumstances. My mother suspected that she was sick during first trimester of pregnancy. She had a test done, it was called a titer. They read this titer as being 112. If the doctor had not been dyslexic, he would have read it as 121, and my mom would have aborted me. When I was born, they were covering up for this doctor, and I'll give you the real cliff notes. You wanna learn more, you can go to my website and find out more about my story. But the cliff notes is that when they did the cataract removal when I was three months old, they then had to go do a retinal clean, cleanup a few months later, and they found pigmentation behind my sighted eye and diagnosed me with congenital rubella, meaning that my mother had germ measles during first trimester of pregnancy. They then gave a prognosis that I was going to be completely blind, completely deaf, autistic, retarded, and the best she could hope was to find a very nice institution for me to spend my life. Fortunately, they were wrong. My parents also fortunately did not believe them, However, they knew that I would face several medical and physical challenges for the rest of my life. So they sued, and it was called the wrongful birth case. And I'll just leave you with this. I don't believe that any of us are wrongfully born. I don't believe any of us are here wrongfully. I don't believe God makes mistakes. I believe miracles happen, and each and every one of us are proof, living proof, that miracles do happen. And it's incumbent upon us 
because, and I have my, my pinned tweet at the end, we'll just leave these, or the solutions, but we don't have time to go through all this. I use the beekeeper analogy because I think one of the things that's so special about the United States is the Bill of Rights. We are the only nation that is predicated on this notion that we are endowed with inalienable rights from our creator. If America falls, so the world follows. So it's incumbent upon each of us to recognize the miracle of human life. Stop falling into these groups that are pitted against each other and recognize the value that each of you present to preserve the free will of humanity. Thank you so much. One more time, let's hear for Courtney Turner. Thank you, Courtney. Yeah. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.